But uh, I want to talk about faith this morning and having a deeper faith in a shaking world. Who agrees our world's being shaken? Things are, things are happening, things are shaking, and I just think, man, we need to have a faith that is deep. And maybe we've got varying degrees of faith. You know, We might have uh, different levels of faith, but no matter where you're at in the room, just you know, Jesus welcomes us with open arms. He just takes us where we're at, and he takes us on. And I know for me, you know, I want to have a strong faith when it's shaking. I don't want to be caught napping or, you know, be found wanting when times really matter. I want to have a strong faith in God. And I think what it means to have a strong faith is, you know, being attached firmly to that anchor of Jesus in my life. Not being shaken or, under, or, or being battered around, but knowing who I am in God. People are questioning everything at the moment. Everything's up for grabs. Everything's uh, not, nothing's fixed down. Actually, it says in Isaiah 5.20, Woe to those who call evil good, and good evil, who put darkness for light, and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet, and sweet for bitter. And I think that verse actually sums up a little bit of what is happening, isn't it? Like, there are things that are good that are now evil, things that are evil that are now called good. And we think, what's going on uh, in our world? And I think Many things are being shaken, but Christ is such a solid rock. Um, Dan actually preached uh, recently about uh, hope in a hopeless world. It was a really good message on hope. And there is hope. It's found in Jesus. But there aren't any quick fixes as well along the way, you know. Sometimes it just means waiting on God, trusting in God Almighty to work and bring redemption um, when we call on his name. So I read this article the other day, and it put it this way, summed it up nicely, talking about what, our, what we put our faith in. It said, faith must have an object. As Christians, our faith is in God. But today, a lot of people have very large faith in people or things or possessions that are like thin ice. When you step on thin ice, it breaks, and you sink in faith. <laughs> Yet even small faith or shaky faith and thick ice means that you won't sink. Not because of my great faith, but because of the strength of what my faith is in. And if you think about that, it's true. You know, I could have a very, very little bit of faith, but it's in something that's much, much more powerful or stronger. Or I could have a lot of faith in something that's very thin and very breakable and very temporary. So looking at Hebrews this morning, Hebrews 11, which is a great chapter on faith. And Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the substance or the realization of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The NIV says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And in the he- this is from the book of Hebrews. And in the Hebrew understanding, they have an understanding for the word faith. And it's a little bit different perspective on what we would look at it. And so I want to just understand that and unpack that a bit. Because in our Western minds, often we think of faith as like a mental exercise uh, in knowing that someone or something will act. Uh, For instance, if I say, you know, I have faith in God, we're saying, I know that God exists and he'll do what he says. But there's this Hebrew word called uh, imuna. I think that's how you say it, imuna. Um, And from that, we get the English word faith. But imuna is, it's like an action-orientated word, meaning support. And the first appearance of this word is in connection with Abraham. And he says, and he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness, Genesis fifteen six, which means Abraham actively, he actively trusted in God. So we see this in Muna in Exodus as well with Moses uh, in Exodus seventeen twelve. but Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and they put it under him and he sat upon it. 
And Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and one on the other side. So his hands were steady, that word Imuna, until the going down of the sun. Without the support of Aaron and Hur, the battle was lost. They had faith and it was put into action, which made them win the battle. What are the battles that are currently going on around us at the moment? Think about the different battles. You know, there's a battle for truth and for the relevancy of the Word of God and scriptures in our society today. There's a battle going on for our young people and our children to walk in the way of Christ. There's a battle going on for your soul to be surrendered to the Lordship of Christ and not to any other thing or possession or job title or anything like that. There's a battle going on right now. And Christ, I believe, is calling us, men and women, young and older, like to support, just to be like Aaron and her, supporting uh, in the kingdom of God. So your involvement really, really matters. Why don't you turn to someone this morning and say, your involvement matters. Because I can tell you, when the world starts shaking, you know, God raises up people of, of incredible faith. You know, you think of Gideon or Moses or Samuel, David, Joshua, Esther, Mary, Nehemiah. Um, but even recently, I've been reading a book on Martin Luther um, in the 1500s and the, and the reformation of what happened. And if you've never, ever read anything about that, I encourage you this week just to go and do a little bit of research about um, that reformation time, Martin Luther. It's phenomenal. It's quite, it's quite inspiring to read a bit about it. In a nutshell, I don't have time to unpack it. But basically, the church had been going one way. There was one church. There wasn't like different denominations or, you know, you could go to Church Unlimited on Sunday or another church on another Sunday. There was like the one church, and it was the state, and it was the church combined. And Luther had the audacity to basically say, hey, I think we've gone off track. I think we need to get back to the Scripture and to the Bible. And it almost very much cost him his life. But it's an incredible story of seeing how God just raised up people with a desire for holiness, a desire to see God move, a desire to get back to the Word of God and understand what it means to truly follow Him. So when we say, I have faith in God, we should be thinking, I will do what I can to support God, to be a support. That's what that word, Amuna, means. So we need to become a support act. And with that in mind, I just want us to look at a few verses with that lens on of what I can do to support God, okay? So Matthew 9, verse 2. Some men brought to Him a paralyzed man laying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, Imuna, I will do what I can to support God, he said to the man, take heart, son, your sons are forgiven. Here's another one, Matthew 9, 21, 22. She said to herself, if only I touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her, take heart, daughter, he said, your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. Mark 6, 6. Jesus, speaking of Jesus, he could do no miracles. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith, their lack of support. Mark 16, 14, later Jesus appeared to the 11 as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. A few more, Colossians 1, 23, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's body, physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free of accusation if you continue in your faith in that immune support, established and firmed and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. So many people, you know, many people believe they, they, they say they believe in God. 
you know, who knows someone that says they believe in God? They believe in God, but they're not really following Jesus. You know, remember even Jesus said that the demons said they believe in God and they tremble. Many people say they believe in God, and especially in a, in a society like ours in New Zealand, a lot of people say, you know, God, I believe in God, and that he created the universe, and maybe even that God redeemed humanity through the sacrifice of his sons. But there are not so many who personally trust that he will keep his promises to them to the last word. You know, I believe to have a Christian life, we have to be fully dependent on God. There is actually no other way. And I think uh, Darlene mentioned it this morning really well about faith in God with our money. There really is no other way. We have to be fully dependent on God. But the good part is we can trust in him. He is trustworthy. His character is dependable. He always keeps his end of the promise so we can trust him. And even in shaky times, I think this gets refined. I think this gets sort of amplified, how much more we need to depend on him. I think when things are shaking, it's almost like a reorganization of our priorities to go, man, God, bring me back to the to the essential things of my faith. You know, because I think it's easy, isn't it? When many of us maybe have grown up in a church or Christian life, there's, there's things that get tacked on. And maybe a little bit like Jesus's um, comments to, to the Pharisees, not calling us Pharisees, but he sort of said, you know, you're following man's laws. And you're not following God. In fact, you're forsaking God just to keep your traditions. And I think there can be parts of our lives, isn't it, where we sort of, we've just added a few things on just to kind of keep things going. But we need to sort of get back and go, hold on, we can trust God. We can fully depend on God and not just add it in on the side. So I want us to, um, I'm just going to look at three images of faith. Because uh, I think it's helped to have a visual aspect of what this looks like. The first one is the mustard seed. So we're probably familiar with um, the story of the mustard seed. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith, i.e. support of God, as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. So mustard seeds are, in fact, one of the smallest, tiniest little seeds, so little, you know, that you, you can hardly even pick them up. So little faith, at the end of the day, isn't too big a deal with God. He's actually not that worried. And I reckon this is pretty encouraging for us today. You know, my faith at times can be surprisingly small. I mean, I know you guys think, oh, Pastor Julian, massive faith. You know, one day I want to be like him. But the reality is, man, I've got faith. We're all just believers in this journey. And we've got this faith at times is just like, where did it go? And at the times, you know, you really believe and you're totally 100%. But there's times where faith is just like, man, I think it's hanging on. Uh, by a thread. And, um, and I remember, I love that story about the boy bringing the loaves and the fishes because really, I think for most of us, we would have thought, eh, what's the point in bringing this? What's the point? There's 5,000 people. What's he going to do with a small lunchbox? But he brought it anyway, and the story's been told all over the world thousands and thousands and thousands of times to prove the point that it really isn't about how much we have. It's about how much God can do with what we have. And that's, I think that's a part of our faith is we've got to have this, this, in the shaky times, we've got to have this belief that, no, no, what I do counts. What I do with my neighbors and how I talk to those people at work and that attitude I have with my family or my kids or whatever, it really, really does matter because God takes it and multiplies it. Um, we have around Auckland, sometimes there's those trucks that drive down here all the time and they've got on the side of the truck uh, we, we move mountains. I don't know if you've seen those. They're these big, like, big rigs 
and they have this label on them that says, we move mountains. They're pretty impressive trucks. They're massive, and it's a really cool slogan. The problem is that's a real clash when it comes to living Christianity that way. You know, we move mountains. And I think it's interesting that Jesus highlights the smallness of our faith just to spotlight the greatness of his ability. And I think sometimes we have to ask the question, are we the truck or are we the seed? You know, the seed is small, it's hidden, it's, it's kind of covered under the stuff. You know, it's down there. Uh, it's not really seen. Yes, Lord, I'm listening. You say. It's, um, it's there. But the truck's huge and it's bushy and it's noisy and it's moving and it's got all this dirt in it and it's impressive. You know, isn't it? Like the truck's awesome and it's, and it's huge and it moves, it actually moves stuff. And I think we've got, to, we've got to ask ourselves, what picture? What is that picture of faith? Are we the seed in the ground? Are we okay with being unseen? Are we okay with just doing what God has asked? Or do we want to have the truck-looking faith that's impressive, but actually that's God's glory? That's where the glory belongs to God and not, not to us, and just doing what he's called us to do. So when we go from being the support of God to trying to move, move the mountains, I think, that's man, that's where we get tired. That's where we get f- fused into religion. That's when we get stuck and misguided, at times probably burnt out and frustrated. But Jesus, he gives us such hope, doesn't he? He says, even if your faith is tiny, it's actually power-packed. Even if it's really small, it actually has the ability to deliver so much more, not because of what we can do, but because God is so capable. Um, Just thinking about this for a second, I love the story of Gideon, because God in Judges 7, if you've read it before, uh, it's a great story just to go back and read in Judges 7. God reduces his army from 32,000 right down to 300 people, 300 people, and it's quite a shrink. Like, that's a massive, massive shrink. Um, the, The verse actually says, the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. If I let all of you go out and fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. Therefore, tell the people, whoever's timid or afraid may leave this mountain and go home. So 22,000 of them went home. And obviously it goes on to say that they were down to 300. But can you imagine for a minute the look on Gideon's face when God sent 22,000 people of his army home? Like he must have been, I reckon he must have been panicking a little bit. But I also reckon, I wonder if he was quite humbled by the fact that two-thirds of his army was timid and afraid. You know, thinking, oh, look at my great army. But actually, all of them were freaking out and all of them were timid. I think he must have been more humbled by that's the true condition of these people than actually the ability of what they could do. And sometimes I think it's in that humility of our faith, our bare, open-hearted, you know, God tends to act. God does not despise the smallness of our faith. We just have to put it to use. Cool. Jesus said hey, to the two blind men that got healed, he said, according to your faith, let it be done. According to your faith. So the second picture, which kind of flows on from that, is the clutch in the car. Does anyone drive a manual car anymore, actually? Yeah, three, four people. Awesome. Man, we, we're real car owners. So the clutch in the I'm just going to have to unpack what a clutch is because nobody knows. Uh, so a car may be sitting with the engine going. Okay, get this picture. Car's going with the engine. The driver's at the wheel, but you're not going anywhere. When the driver engages the clutch, the engine connects to the wheels, they start to turn, and the car is soon on its way along the road. Engagement of the clutch produces the action. 
but the clutch has no power itself. Um, James puts it this way, James 2.26, faith without deeds is dead. Faith on its own is dead. It has to have that action, that movement. You know, if you had a brand new Porsche, you should be tithing. <laughs> Just kidding. If you, had, <laughs> if you have a brand new Ferrari, uh, or even maybe a perky little new EV, you know, is anyone thinking about getting an EV? I've certainly thought about it, a new brand new e-car. Uh, do, you know, do you talk about how huge the clutch is in your brand new car? No, you don't. That would be really silly. You talk about how amazing the engine is, or how fast it goes, or all these other aspects, but you don't sit there and go, look at the clutch. It's amazing. No, you don't. Our motorhome actually is a, is a manual. And uh, it's a manual. And it's occasionally I'll be driving and um, my co-pilot, um, she'll offer some advice on when to change gears as we're driving. You know, maybe we're going through that big puddle and there's some advice on when to shift gears. You know, the revs are getting too high. Like occasionally. Actually, I'll just leave that thought. Um, but I heard this quote that says... The greatest vitamin you can provide faith is plain exercise. Isn't that really good? The greatest vitamin you can provide faith is just plain. In other words, just using it, just act, just putting it into action. So don't miss this, church. When you're on automatic, there's no activation. There's no activation. There's no faith, you know, but no deeds. So next time you drive a car with a clutch, remember your faith. It's not about the size. You know, a very, very, very large clutch is not what a car needs. It just needs activation. It just needs to be used. Otherwise, you'll stall. Has anyone stalled a car in front of their friends or, like, neighbours or anything like that when you're a teenager and you're learning how to drive and you've stalled? Do you know, actually, someone the other... I borrowed um, Daniel. Daniel, uh, he has a car with a... He's got a manual car, and I borrowed his car. And we had to go and pick some things up. I got back to church, and he had this look on his face, and I thought, what's this about? And he looks over and he goes... Jules, did you steal my car? <laughs> and I did steal the car at the lights. And I was so embarrassed. But um, anyway, yeah. So next time you're in a car with a clutch, remember, I just need to activate my faith. The third picture or image of faith is the columns in the temple. This word, amuna, that we talked about earlier, about support. In English, in the langu- English language, defined uh, this word support as a verb. That says to bear all or part of the weight of or to hold up. You know, many of us would be familiar with um, Solomon's temple, which is uh, 1 Kings chapter 6. And the temple was held in place by these columns. Um, And what was the temple? It hosted the place where God's presence tangibly dwelt. It was the holy of holies. It was the very dwelling place of God uh, of, of Jehovah amongst the Hebrew people. That's where he was. That where his holy presence came and it filled the temple. These columns were holding this building which held the presence. Without the columns, the building wouldn't be held up and no presence would have dwelt in there. You know, today you and I, we are the temple. It's not a physical building as such, but 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Do you not know that your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. God works through you and me. He works through a people. He works through a, a person. You know, our bodies are essentially his plan of redemption. Have you ever thought about that? That our bodies, you and I as physical people, you know, are part of his redemption plan. If you don't believe me, look at Jesus. 
You know, without a body, there's that verse, isn't it? You know, a body he prepared for me, a sacrifice. His body was part of the plan of redemption for all humanity. Without his body, there would not have been a sacrifice on the cross to free us from sin and death. And therefore, you know, God does the same through us. He uses us as people. He's in us to be part of his redemption plan. You know, there's a reason you're in Auckland. There's a reason God has got you in this place, in this city, in your neighborhood, around your workmates for one reason. And that's for God to work his plans through you. It's not a coincidence. It's not a, oh, I just decided to take this job. Oh, I just ended up in this role. Or, oh, this is just my family and my life. No, no, no. God has his purposes. He has his plans. You know, I mean, imagine Jesus thinking that, oh, I don't really like Nazareth. Actually, apparently it's one of the worst places in Israel. I'm going to move. I'm just going to go down to Babylon and spend some time there, have a break, you know, see how it goes. No, God had his purposes. I can't see Jesus talking like that anyway. But, you know, there was a reason. And God was in him and through him. He fulfilled his purposes through who he was. Those columns, you and I are those columns in that temple. We hold the Holy Spirit. If you're here today thinking, I can't do anything. I'm no good to God or to anyone. Or maybe you're just feeling like ending it all, you know. Can I tell you, God doesn't look for perfection or finished products. No. All he needs is a surrendered person, a surrendered heart. You know, I heard this story the other day of um, a guy that went into prison, uh, do work in the prison ministry, and he was talking to these prisoners. And he's saying, you know, what do you say to someone that's in prison that's, that's, that's had a bad run? That's, what, what kind of hope can you give them? And he started saying that, you know, one of the things I do is I talk about the potter and the clay, you know, the potter and the clay, which is, which is through Jeremiah. There's different scriptures that talk about, you know, we're, we're the clay and God's the potter. And he says to these guys, so, so um, you know, what, what does the clay have to do? And they say, oh, well, what do you mean? He says, well, well who puts the clay on, on, the, on the thingy? And they said, oh, well, God does that. And they say, yeah, and, and, what is the, and when it comes to um, shaping it, what does the clay have to do? And so, well, it doesn't do anything. It just sits there. And he says, yeah. And who, who shapes it into this, into this great, you know, um, piece of art, into this bowl? He says, well, well, the potter does that. And he's like, that's right. All the clay has to do is surrender. All the clay has to do is be there. And, you know, what a picture, right? Eh? God just takes whatever's there, whatever, whatever piece of clay is there, and he shapes it. He spins it. He molds it. He restores it. He doesn't worry about what's happened or what's fallen off the table. He takes it and he molds it. Simply put, we can't do anything to earn the love and salvation of God. He does it all, and he shapes us into what he wants to make us. In fact, the clay doesn't get to tell God what kind of pot he's going to be, or what kind of shape, or what kind of destiny, or what kind of outcome or future there should be, does it? No, no, God shapes it. He is the potter. We are the clay. Uh, you know, by the way, that verse in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, before it says that, before it says... Um, it actually talks about run from sexual sin. No other sin is so clearly affects the body as this one. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. And then it goes on to talk about our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Interesting. Four ways to grow. I just want to go through, um, before I wrap it up this morning, four ways to grow deeper in your faith in these shaky times. So the first one is, the first one is to keep, keep the faith in this season. Why don't you turn to someone this morning and just say, keep the faith. I'm not talking about the warriors, by the way. Just keep the faith. Keep the faith in this season. 
Um, you know, it's not been helped, right, by disruptions and lockdowns. It, it hasn't made it easy. Home isolation, sicknesses, disruptions in life. You know, plus there's all the things trying to get our attention. Maybe they're good things. But the truth remains, you know, the deceiver, the enemy of your soul, my soul, he is out to rob us of all that God has for you. John 10.10, 10, the thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So maybe there's an area where you've really begun to trust in God and, you know, you've just started to be a real support, that word we looked at before, and the enemy has come in like a flood. He doesn't want you leaning on God. He doesn't want you trusting in him. He wants you leaning on yourself, on your own wisdom, on your own strength. He wants you to be the mountain mover. Why? Because he knows when you do that, you move away from dependence on God. You move away from trusting God and from being someone that gives God the glory. Keeping the faith does take perseverance, but hang in there. It is so worth it. Think of um, Paul's words to Timothy, 2 Timothy 4.7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And, you know, Parnell needs this. It needs a people that are keeping the faith, that are glorifying God, that are living for him, that are salt and light, that are here in this community, not just turning up to do church, but are truly dependent on God, that are seeking him and living for him. Parnell needs this. Auckland needs this. Australia, no, they don't need this. But your family, your workplace, they need this. They need this to keep the faith. Secondly, be a support act. You know, think of Aaron and her. Hey, standing there supporting Moses and winning the battle. It's such a good picture, isn't it? Being a support act. You don't have to do it all. You don't have to be the one that's, but we do have our part to play. They held up the hands and they kept the battle in their favor. What does it mean to be a support act? Could look like serving. It could look like giving. It could look like inviting people just for a meal. Spending quality time with people that really need some time. It could mean making a phone call that you've been putting off. Uh, It could mean just just being faithful in what God's got for you right now, doing what God has called you to do. Don't leave it to others. You know, put your hand up, be counted on, be a support act. I heard this quote the other day that said, the kingdom has already come through Jesus. We can enter into the holy place, and we are co-workers and co-laborers, support in his kingdom. And like the friends who brought their paralyzed friend to Jesus, you know, we need to be those support acts. There's people right now that they may not be physically paralyzed, you know, but they are lying on their mat. They think it's all over. They think life is gone. They think their best times are behind them. And we need to be the people that hold that mat and support them and get them to Jesus and bring them to him because he's the healer. Thirdly, we need to decide beforehand to go deeper. You know, um, okay, so coming back to my motorhome driving through the, uh, the big, big puddle, um, you know, when the road was officially closed, I, uh, I remember just thinking, just before we went through that puddle, I remember someone saying to me, when you go through water in a, in a vehicle, don't stop. The worst thing you can do is stop, because if you stop, and you've got to start the car again. You know, you're not going to get any air through the, through the exhaust or whatever, so you've got to keep going. And so I had to make a decision. If I'm going through this puddle, I am driving right through this puddle and not stopping. And often, it's the most hardest just before we get that breakthrough, or we get into what God has for us. It can be the most darkest just before the dawn. First Peter 1.3, praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you, have, you may have to suffer grief of all kinds of trials 
These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, greater worth than gold, which perishes only refined by the fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus is revealed. And Jesus will be revealed. You know, man, imagine that, eh? Like, you know, that is, that is, that is kind of the, that's the, that's the litmus test. That's where we're aiming. So keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't worry about the challenges and the uphills and the valleys. You know, being in those things is not the absence of God's plan. It may be exactly where God wants you right now. But the good promise is God will never leave us nor forsake us. The fourth one is uh, wait patiently. God's timing is always best. Hebrews 6.13 says, When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so, after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. And we know, actually, from Scripture that Abraham never actually saw the result of his prophecy. He never actually saw it with his own eyes. He never, you know, even like Moses, never actually entered into the promised land. They didn't see that fulfillment of that. But they lived in faith, knowing that God would get it done. So we can get what we want if we really desire it. We can thrash about and make decisions to get what we want. You know, God gives us free will. He does. But we may lose our heart in the process. We may end up hurting others, and we may end up on the thin ice and not on the thick ice that actually helps us. So wait patiently for God. Wait for what he has in store. You know, I've found the more that I've leaned upon the timings of God and waited in him, the more I've seen that his timing is absolutely perfect. His timing is pinpoint accurate. You know, it is right on time. It's never too early. It's never too late. It's just when we need to see things happen, and it works out better. We can't see around the corner, but God can, so we need to trust in him. So just as the worship team comes up, let me just cover those again. The first one is, let's keep the faith. Keep the faith. You know, even in difficult times, hang on to God with you, what all that you have. Keep fully dependent on him. It is worth it. Secondly, be a support act. You know, find, there is ways that God is, is, is using us, you know, moving through us to be a support act in his kingdom and all that he's doing. Thirdly, decide beforehand to go deeper in God. You know, it's too late when you're in the middle of the puddle to decide what you're going to do. You know, decide beforehand to go deeper in him. And fourthly, wait patiently for him. You know, there's that classic line, isn't it? You don't want to have an Ishmael before you have an Isaac. You need to wait for God's timing to see his promises. So church, let's keep the faith. Believe that, you know, what we can do to support God in these shaky times as our faith goes deeper, as a community of faith, as our faith is deeper in God, even when things are shaking, God's light shines through. God's hope, his resurrection power, his goodness will shine through us and through this church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.